I'll just go ahead and say I'm going to start off a little heavy. Uh, so my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer at some point. I don't even remember. It's all kind of a blur. Uh, and uh, I was talking with my wife, Karen, about it. And she said she remembers that moment praying that we would get five more years with her. So stage four uh, and 4B or whatever, it was already metastasized in her body. She was, um, uh, it was um, already pretty well advanced. But um, we, we were praying that we would have five more years. And she prayed fervently and <laughs> uh, repeatedly for that to be the case. Uh, we're grateful that we got two years with my mom. Uh, and did even get to spend some time living with them because we had to come back to the U.S. to uh, live with them when we were adopting our second son, Nathan, and it was beautiful to get to be with her, but boy, the time was short. And it wasn't as long as what we asked for, very specifically asked for, fervently asked for, repeatedly asked for, but she didn't get the prayer that she wanted. I think it's fairly certain that you, at times, have not gotten the answer that you asked for in prayer. I'm wondering if you have had the inner monologue that I have had at some times. We don't don't purposely choose to think this, uh, but this thought or this phrase just kind of sneaks into the back of our mind. And, And when you don't get what you pray for, the thing that sneaks in is we say, you must not have prayed hard enough. Have you ever thought that to yourself? It might have been when you have experienced a loss. It could be a really small thing. Uh, Maybe you missed out on a job opportunity. Uh, I must not have prayed enough. Or maybe it's a really life-changing or a devastating experience or a loss like losing a loved one. In those circumstances, if you and I, if we have that idea circulating in our head that if we just prayed a little bit more, the outcome would have been different. It starts to eat away at us. Sometimes we can actually get blindsided by somebody else saying something like that or putting that on us. When when there are circumstances that we are facing uh, and usually we're looking to somebody else for some emotional support, we're hoping for a little bit of empathy from them. We're having problems in our relationship or difficulty even finding a meaningful relationship, or wanting to get pregnant but finding ourselves unable to, or facing the illness of a loved one, or struggling with some kind of bigger relational or job conflict. And and instead of offering the empathy that we really crave, we might have heard a phrase that, at first it sounds super spiritual, but it has the potential to really wound us like a knife. And somebody can ask us, but did you pray about that? And instead of it feeling helpful, what it sounds like, what we hear when somebody else says it is, you hear, you haven't prayed enough. Otherwise, you wouldn't have this problem, obviously, right? Have you prayed about it? It's a kind of a brush off that ends up stabbing us in the nerves and sticks with us for a long time because a lot of times we think, well, maybe I haven't. Maybe I didn't pray enough. Here's the thing, though. Jesus would never have said that to you. 
Jesus would never have told you that. Even if it's something that you say to yourself or if somebody else says it to you, that is not what our Savior would say to you. And we're going to see that in a very memorable story today in the book of John, in John 11, where Jesus is going to show us a more mature approach to prayer. And he's going to see the, a response. There's a prayer of desperation to God. And it's going to be met with God's character. And it's going to be very different than that voice that we hear in our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask you this morning to help us to look at this uh, really important topic and to, to understand it in a way that, that we need to for our lives. I pray that we will understand it in a way then even this preacher can even communicate. May we understand your heart in a better way even than what I can say this morning because I feel like I want to share your heart and I can't even get there. Uh, but we, we pray this morning that we will hear your Holy Spirit speaking to us even as we hear your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, this is the second week that we are in this message series called Stuff Jesus Never Said. Uh, it is meant to be a playful but kind of meaningful look. By the way, I love this image. Look at how Jesus is like, no, no. Like, I, I, you, know, you know how I came up with this? This I actually did use AI for this one. I said, like, Jesus disappointed with, like, in an icon, icon imagery. So this is disappointed Jesus according to AI. There you go. No, no. Okay, uh, so uh, this is meant to be playful, but it's meaningful. We're trying to say, hey, these are, there are some expressions that kind of roll off of our tongue uh, that might not be in line with what Jesus taught. We're trying to examine some of the unquestioned thoughts that, that come through our minds. We're not sure if anyone actually thinks that Jesus thinks this stuff always, but it, the reality is a lot of these things get repeated and then they go unchallenged. And when they are, they kind of become a part of who we are. So we hear these statements and they get casually tossed about. And oftentimes they're said in a way as if their truth is unassailable. They're sometimes de declared as a kind of argument-ending truth, well, such as, you need to be true to yourself. And it kind of just ends the topic. But our hope, though, is that we're going to look at these statements in the light of who Jesus really is, what Jesus actually said, and we can make some decisions for ourselves about whether we think Jesus would have said these things. In the end, I think we're going to find that Jesus' statements oftentimes demand more of us than these statements. They're going to reveal darker truths about our hearts, and they're going to call on us to more radically trust in God than any of these other common sayings ever would ask of us. And so the question we are looking at today is, maybe I didn't pray enough. And we're going to look at John 11. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open it to John 11. We're going to read kind of a, a longer passage there. Uh, we're not going to be able to look at every verse, but uh, it's going to be helpful to have this in our minds. Okay. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. I want you to listen to some of the relational cues here. Jesus has a relationship with these people. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, which is going to happen in the next chapter, but they're given some context. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. He knows this guy. 
He says, guy, you lo- you, this is your bud. He's sick. When he heard this, he, Jesus, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he does something kind of weird. This isn't what you'd think. He, he stayed where he was for two more days. And, when he said to, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you want to go back to that area? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they, will see, the world, they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, (laughs) but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, you guys. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany, this town, was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. That would have been a common thing for her to go back and forth to the tomb to mourn multiple times. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, she says the same thing, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Following this, Lazarus has a pretty good story to tell, and actually it causes a lot of stir. And it's the, this is the last miracle in the book of John that Jesus does before kind of the final events, uh, the kind of final time of his life. And it leads to the people wanting to kill him for this. So we see this relationship that Jesus has with them. He, he knows them. He loves them. These are people he cares about. And he gives a lot of indications about that. But it's funny, it says, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed. And you think, what in the world? That doesn't make sense. But the writer John does give us some indications about where it's going. He says, this is going to be for God's glory. That's what Jesus says. And in verse 14, I'm doing this so that you will believe. So God has a real purpose there in not healing at that time. So these people have genuine faith. Each of them said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I just want you to think for a minute. What do you think Mary and Martha's prayers would have been like over the last few days before, before Lazarus died? They would have been begging for God. Lord, you, you know this guy. Please, for us. And, and the implications are really big in that culture, even for them to lose their brother. It seems like they're not married. For them to not have the, the male in their family is kind of the, the protection, the breadwinner for their family. Uh, I don't know what their situation would be like after he passes. This is real relational implications for them and real sociological, socioeconomic situation for them. What's going to happen to them? But they have real faith. They have real hope. If you had been here, he would not have died. I know, Jesus, that you have that power. But what we need to understand is that the, the point wasn't even just the actual answer to the prayer, but the process of our praying it is, the, the point of it is our discipleship. It's our connection with God. We think that when we pray, it's kind of formulaic. We want it to be a formula. If I pray this, then I get that. That's the way we want it to be. We want to, re, in some ways, we don't want to say it like this, but we want it to reduce it to be some kind of a, a technique that we have. If I, if I input a certain number of coins of prayer, then God will give it to me. Maybe the price for this healing is a lot of prayers. And that's, a, that's a, a way that we can understand as humans, but that's not the way it works. Because when we don't have an answer to prayer, though, we, we, and if we have that system, then we think that either it means that we didn't do enough, that it's somehow our fault that something happened, or it means that God doesn't actually care. And neither of those are very lovely thoughts. But what we see in John 11 is that God does care. And what we see is that it's not our fault. If we had prayed one more time or 10 more times or 100 more times or with a lot more emotion or a lot more tears, the story for Mary and Martha wouldn't have ended any differently. And it's the same for us. We have to rely on God. And we have to pray with confidence, relying on three things in particular. We need to pray with confidence in God's character. We need to pray with confidence in God's character. It's not about our effort. It's about God's character. We can have confidence in what God is like. We have, can have confidence that God is compassionate. 
We, we see that. We see the compassion of Jesus in this passage. There, it's really amazing to see that Jesus weeps here. It's the shortest verse in English, right? Jesus wept. And it says that when he saw, when he saw the people, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he, tr- and he was troubled. Jesus is moved with compassion. And we can understand God's own compassion for us. He sees his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The reason he didn't come right away wasn't because he didn't love them. And the reason why God isn't answering our prayers immediately is not because God doesn't love us. God does have compassion for us. There are a lot of things that God can do, uh, but for some reason, sometimes he doesn't. And because of that, we worry that he doesn't care. But that's not what it says here. I don't think we can be 100% sure why Jesus is weeping, but it is definitely in response to theirs. Uh, And I, I think we can recognize that God is involved. He sees the brokenness of the world, that somebody would die he enters into their emotion of the moment as well, his own emotion that, that this loved one would be dead. He knows that he's going to be healed, but still that process of their pain, he is crying along with them. I'd like for you to think back to a moment when you felt like God didn't hear you. Maybe you have some fear that God didn't care, or maybe you didn't pray enough. And I would like for you to think of this moment and to imagine Christ weeping with you in that moment. Because Mary and Martha are weeping, but Christ is weeping with them. I don't know how you you picture him with you. But how does that picture of Christ weeping along with you as you pray about that thing? How does that change your prayer? And we can ask ourselves the question, does a God who weeps along with you, does he demand that you reach a certain threshold of a number of prayers that you pray before he acts? Because our prayers are not an attempt to extract blessing from a God who doesn't want to give them to us. He is not a reluctant father. Jesus does tell a story about a persistent widow. You might say, hey, I I know the story about a persistent widow. It's in Luke 18. Uh, the, The moral of the story that Luke even tells us is that we should pray and not give up. But the whole point of Jesus' story is he tells a story about an unjust judge. He says, there's an unjust judge who doesn't care about God or people. (laughs) That's how Jesus sets up his story. And he says, and there was a widow who came to his door and asked for justice. And he did not want to give justice to her. But because she was persistent and kept coming back, he did give it to her. The point of the story isn't just that we should hassle God. It's all right to hassle a little bit. The point is, God is not unjust. God does care about people. And if even, a pers- even if an unjust, God listen- or an unjust judge listens to somebody, of course our loving Father is going to listen to us. So he will give us justice. 
God is not going to fail us. And it's going to, it feels like it. We get caught in this time. We're, we're stuck in time. Think about Mary and Martha. When her brother died, the story's over. We felt like, oh, that what else is there that could be done? But the story was not over. And here's the thing about God's compassion, I'll tell you. If we really understood the stakes of our lives, uh, and there's no way that we could actually pray enough. Even, let's just pick something dumb. Kurt could not have prayed enough for this sermon, for how meaningful it could be for our lives, to think about God's character and how much compassion he has for us. I could not pray enough. We can't pray enough for the things that actually matter about our own faith lives, about the, the lives of, of people that we love around us. And so we actually have to recognize that we actually can't pray enough about the things that matter, so therefore I haven't prayed enough for those things, so I have to trust God's character, whatever that may be. I end up praying for petty things. I pray for the wrong things. That's the beauty of what it says. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit fills in for me prays with me, fills in for me. I need that because I pray for the wrong things. I don't pray enough things. So I want to be in control, but the reality is I am not. But I can rely on God's character. He's a kind of God who weeps along with me. He's a compassionate God. All right, the second thing, it's not about how much I pray, but we can have confidence as I pray in God's resurrection power. There is God's power. I don't have to question his power. I once saw a man move a house with one hand. This is true. This was in March 2018. I saw a man move a house with one hand. He barely pressed on the corner of the house, and it turned and pivoted to the right position. Go ahead and put that up there, Sean. This is, uh, I used to live in France. This is my uh, village where I lived in France. And they were installing a temporary thing at the bank over there. And all he, this guy did, he sat there and he just kind of pushed on this thing like this. And that little thing turned. Why was he able to do that? Well, because it's getting held up by a crane, right? Okay, I thought this is a beautiful image of prayer. This is the power of God in prayer. We push in prayer like one hand. If that house had been on the ground, no amount of pushing by that one guy would have moved that thing one inch. But when it was being lifted by the crane, he could push it in the right position just with one hand. And that is what our prayers look like. When God is behind it, we are praying along with God's power. That is God's power. And it's a beautiful picture of, of prayer in our positions, or, uh, when we're facing our problems and uh, whatever position we may be in. That God, when he is lifting the thing, our prayer doesn't have to be very much. If God is not saying yes to that thing, it doesn't matter how much we pray about it and throw ourselves against it, it's not going to move. The crane is lifting it. So because of the, effective, the effectiveness of our prayer is not in the quantity or the intensity of our prayer. It is in the power and the ability of the one that we pray to. So it's not about the, our intensity. It is about the power and ability of the one that we pray to. And if you're thinking about this, maybe you're thinking, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm, not, I'm still not totally convinced. Doesn't God mention some things about 
our faith, that if we had more faith, that God would respond. And I can think of a couple of texts for this. Uh, when Jesus' disciples are trying to cast out a demon one time, Jesus replied, it's because of your little faith that you were not able to cast out this demon. Or in another, in Mark, he, he says, um, it was because this kind only comes out by prayer. Uh, in Matthew 17, this is where Jesus is recorded as saying, he said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. You could tell the mountain to move from here and there, and nothing will be impossible for you. But what he's saying is basically like you guys didn't have any faith at all. It wasn't because of the amount of prayer. It was because they didn't actually believe that God was there or able. And so I think the, the verse in Mark is really helpful, that same thing. He says, this kind only comes out by prayer. Basically, I think that they were trying to do it by their own power, by their own ability, instead of actually asking God and relying on God to be the one to do it. Uh, so nothing's going to happen if it's by our own ability. So it's, it's not about the quantity of our faith. It's about the, the quality that, of who our faith is in. It's our trust in God's plan. Um, the, the second one that I thought of is in Matthew 6, uh, right before he teaches the, his disciples about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus says, this one's kind of funny, actually. It, it just says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we know that Jesus tells us, hey, I know the Father knows what you need. And it's not about your many words. It's about having faith in God. So we have trust in his power. And we see that Jesus, when he calls out to Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come out. He is the one who has that resurrection power. And we who live now on the other side of Christ's own resurrection know that he's the one who has this power. We can trust him that he is the one who is powerful enough. So we know that he has the compassion. He has the heart for us. He has the power as well to do what we ask. So it's not our power. It's not how much we ask or if we're really amazingly strong. It's about how strong our God is. And the, the last bit, last, a third point, we can have confidence in God when we trust what God's plans are. We trust what God is doing. We can have humble trust in God's purposes. This is going to change the way that we pray. We trust in God's purposes. That God has his own purposes and he's going to bring those about. When Jesus commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb, it changed the story of what had happened before. We know that he stayed behind purposefully to, make, to be able to show that this power came from God. This, has, this miracle has a, a lot of implications for our faith. It's, it's hard for me in the moment. I, I think the Mary and Martha's understanding of what God was doing changed completely after Jesus arrived. I have to trust in God's purposes that when he doesn't answer my prayers, that, that what his will is doesn't always align with what I want. But it is for my ultimate good. And I'm not going to always understand it. I may not understand it even before I die. I may never understand it until my dying day. One thing I do know, though, now, even this, so I'm 48 now, what I understand in all my years is I understand that when I look back on some of my prayers, I can already understand that I am glad that God didn't answer some of them. 
I'm old enough now so that I'm thankful that God did not answer some of my prayers. Uh, I now have at least a little bit of, uh, of distance between those things to recognize how foolish some of those prayers have been. That God spared me from things I have asked for in the past. And that should, in some small way, give me some, uh, some ability to trust God, even in some very much more difficult and trying moments. We can have confidence in who God is. And we can have confidence even when our prayers are for something that we know is right and good and God doesn't seem like he's answering it. You think, God, why wouldn't you answer this thing? Why wouldn't you answer me positively for this? And think of uh, Christian author uh, Corey Ten Boom. She was a Christian in the Netherlands during World War II. She and her sister helped a lot of Jewish people escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust, and uh, they hid them in their home. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place, and uh, she was eventually caught and sent to a concentration camp. Uh, But she says something really profound. She says this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So we've said before this, God is compassionate. We know that about him. We know that God is powerful. So therefore, I should be able to trust my unknown future or even my unresolved prayers to a known God. I know, I know that you're good and I know that you're strong enough. So I, I know that what you're offering me must be good, even if I don't see it. That is an amazing prayer. We can have confidence that God is what he's doing because of what he's like and what his power is. When we think about this question about maybe we haven't prayed enough, I just got to say, a lot of us have carried a lot of guilt about this. You might be carrying some blame due to unanswered prayers. And I want to tell you that you need to release the, the burden of that. That the purpose, God has his own purpose and you have been carrying that burden on yourself. And it is not your fault. It's not on you. It's ultimately on God, and God's the one who has to show what his purposes are. But I will tell you what, God will be vindicated. Lazarus' resurrection shows some of that. He he foreshadows Christ's own resurrection. Look, Jesus' own death looked really bad. That looked like the end of the story, but then three days later he rose again, and it changed the story. It points... Lazarus' resurrection ends up pointing forward forward to Jesus' own death on a cross and his resurrection. And, and the Christian message of the gospel is that it's never been about your effort. So if you have been the one who has been bearing that burden, it's never been about your effort. It's always been about God's compassion and God's power and God's purposes that were demonstrated on the cross. That's where it all comes together. And here's the beautiful thing. Christ himself had a prayer that wasn't answered. He said, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not my will, yours be done. Jesus would have rather have not had to suffer. We have a God who suffers along with us. And so we know that the place where God's power, God's power meets God's compassion and his purposes is on the cross. 
God meets us in that place and it changes the way that we understand all of our whole being. And like I've said, when Lazarus was resurrected, it changed the story. And when Jesus was resurrected, it changed the story. It was a, it's a story now, afterwards. It's a story about God's great love, God's great power, God's great purposes. Look, we see it all. It all makes sense now. That he, There's this healing that takes place in Lazarus' life that ends up kind of the healing and our understanding of what happened ends up working its way backward in our understanding of the Lazarus story. So if the story with Mary and Martha had just stopped with, well, we, we prayed to God a lot, we asked for Jesus to come, and our friend still died, and that's the end of the story. But then we see that he is resurrected, and that resurrection healing works its way back in our understanding of the whole story. It changes our feelings even about their grief when they felt so lonely and that God wasn't listening to them, was that true? No. God heard them. God was going to act. The, story, the problem was the storyline of what God was going to do was unfinished when Jesus arrived. So it looked like God wasn't answering Mary and Martha's prayers. It looked like Jesus was delayed for no reason, but there was a reason. And right now, your prayers are unanswered, and it's painful. And right now, it seems like there's no reason. But I'll tell you what. When Christ returns, and the heavens and the earth are made new, there's going to be healing. And the healing is going to be so complete that it's going to work its way backward into our present circumstances to change even how we understand the pain that we have now. Because the story is not over yet for us. The story is over with what Jesus has done, so we know that victory is sure. But one day, the, the healing of the nations will be so complete that we will say, God, you were right. You brought this all together in an amazing way. In the same way that this story with Lazarus changed completely when they understood how the story ends. You may not know what that is until after we die, but we can have confidence in this God. The healing will work itself back. It's so complete. Well, the day, if it hasn't come already to you, the day will come when you're going to ask, why didn't God answer my prayer? And I want to tell you, you didn't pray enough is not the right answer to that. <laughs> of the different statements that we're looking at, this one is probably the one that we're most likely to hear in our own thoughts. And I just want to, let's name it. This is the voice of Satan. It's the voice of Satan who comes to give us blame. He says that it's your fault. It says that he comes to steal and kill and destroy. He steals our joy. He kills our faith. He wants to destroy our relationship with God. And if we, if we turn this around and make it a question and said it would be a lot more positive, we could say, why didn't God answer my prayer? And if we did that, then we'd have to admit that we, we just don't know. That we're too small. We're ignorant. There's some mystery there. But I know for sure it's not going to be that I didn't pray enough. So, I think we need, I would love for us to have a bigger way to, I would love to slay this dragon. I feel like this is something that chases us, that has haunted some of us. 
And I, w- I wish that I could say it in a better way to kill it. What I want for us is to have more faith in our good and loving and powerful and purposeful God. All right. I, that's kind of a quick look at that. Uh, we're going to be looking at some more of these statements. Here's my challenge for you this week. I would like for you to find some other positive statements like this of things that Jesus wouldn't say. See if you can identify some. Uh, I would love to hear if you have them. You can send me a text, send me an email, write to us on social media. Uh, what are some things? Positive statements, nothing like, uh, yeah, of course, Jesus wouldn't say that thing. But you know, what are some other things that you keep hearing? I would love for us to attune our minds a little bit to catch these thoughts around us. Because I want to say, if we are a community who is looking to see God in the everyday, it's going to change our approach to our daily lives. It's going to change the way that we pray, the way that we act toward people. It's going to shape the way that we face our life circumstances, our disappointments, all the joys and the tragedies of our lives. Because I can start to trust in God's care for me. I can trust that he has enough power, and I can trust that he's in charge enough to have a purpose. And it's going to allow me to have a little more compassion for somebody else who's going through something really hard and somebody who's facing something that's unanswered. I hope you'll stick around with us next couple weeks as we look at this stuff Jesus didn't say. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word in John 11 today. May we allow this to sink into our hearts. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just offer it. He is the resurrection and the life. He is that power. We see you in this. May we be people who pray with a little more trust, a little more knowing that you are a loving Father who hears us this week because of what we read. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.